Hi, this is Jamin Fraser, and you're listening to The Insecurity Project, solving the insecurity problem at a global level. The show is a combination of interviews with experts, authors, speakers, and individuals who've gone on to do amazing things in their life by eradicating insecurity. You'll hear real-life coaching sessions from people who are overcoming insecurity in their life, and you'll hear 10-Minute Tuesday, which is a chance for me to deliver some high-quality personal development content to help you in your own journey. I hope you enjoy the program. Now on to today's show. Hey, Peter. I really appreciate you being willing to jump on the call and bring something very real to the table to to get more of what you're looking for. And um, and like I said in the message, your vulnerability gives you a chance for something really cool right now, and it's uh, a real gift to give the group. So. I acknowledge you and uh, and appreciate that, and um, yeah, really looking forward to the chance to serve you um, with everything I've got. So we'll go for we'll go for half an hour, and um, yeah, my aim is to have a very real and, and powerful conversation for you that could be useful. So um, with that in mind, what 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 is it that you'd like to talk about today? What's, what's something that you'd like to direct a conversation towards? Okay, well, I've just moved interstate, intercity. Um, I've basically just had some amazing sort of doors closing in my life and other doors opening. And I was a musician for about five, six years, full-time years over in Sydney. And that was a really hard gig. That was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, Because I had to book all the shows. I didn't have management. It It was all very much about my own um oh what's the best way to put it it was all all my own energy and i had um a group of musicians that would call in to play gigs on and i found that some of those relationships were very hard to deal with uh because you're dealing with ego you're dealing with musicians you know they're they're kind of well they're creative types you know um Mm -hmm. and I always paid them first and, you know, then invoiced. And, you know, it, it got pretty tough there sometimes, especially with the closures of venues and the other things that we experienced. So I sort of came through to my relationship of 12 years ending um, this year, at the beginning of this year, basically. Right. And um, ended up going up to Byron, which is my happy place. It was kind of my sure. um, feel good, you know, like I just go there and, I'm at the past surfing, you know, and I've got nothing to worry about kind of deal. And then I was working up there as a head chef. Job basically closed on me, which was really kind of weird. But at the same time, it propelled me to look at what I really, really wanted to do with my life. And sure. I wanted to move to Melbourne. Um, yeah. and so I'm here, like literally Monday, left Monday, Sydney. Uh, drove down <laughs> one day walked straight into an apartment that opened up for me in Elwood, which is just absolutely mm-hmm. rad. Um, walked straight into a job, and I've been working the last two days. But at the same time, now comes the motivation of, am I going to go, I suppose, the, yes, the generator, the motivator, to actually play music in Melbourne. You know, it's it's I'm having to start all over again. And yeah, sure. there's... And I feel like there's there's that reluctancy, you know, that that I'm there's that sort of pull, like oh, all over again, you know. Really, it was so hard in Sydney, and 
I suppose what I'm really wanting is to get that that creative river flowing again. So I'm I'm writing riffs, I'm playing, you know, there's no constrictions. If there's opposition, then to look at it in the right way as opposed to going, yeah, oh, sure. God, they don't like what I'm playing or whatever, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's basically where I'm at. Sure, so what I'm hearing is that it's important for you to get back in music and, and that music is very central to who you are as a person and what gives you life. Um, Very much there's so. been some, yeah. some past pain around that and this new opportunity, there's a, a chance to start again with the music, but you're kind of like, oh, wow, uh, yeah, I'm, I know I want to do it and it's important to me, but kind of lacking the confidence and the motivation to, to jump into it now. Is that is that how it is? Yeah, it's it's really, yeah, yeah, it is. It's the confidence, definitely the confidence and the motivation. It's, um, sure. yeah, you know, like Melbourne, the type of music I play is very, you know, it's welcome in Melbourne, whereas in Sydney, it's more of a corporate kind of a deal, you know, it's, they're listening to a lot of different things, more of a new town kind of sound, alternative country kind yes. of vibe. Uh, whereas Melbourne is, is just rich, you know, it's like any genre, any night, you can find it, you know. It yeah, really right. is the cultural capital of Australia. So that is a huge motivator for me. But it's that, you know, oh, I suppose the reluctance to to get wounded in that in that area, that especially in Melbourne, you know. Yeah, sure. It, mm, so it didn't failure? really matter. Failure. Sure. Straight up failure. You know, like, you couldn't even play in your own environment, like practice at home, without someone calling the cops, you know. That's what Sydney's like, and I had to put up with that for, like, six, seven years. You know, you pick up a guitar acoustically, cops would be banging on your door in half an hour, 45 minutes, you know. Any form of expression was just shut down. And I'm sure. still kind of hurting from that. Okay. Um, so tell me more about this fear around failure uh, and starting in a place, because it seems like, um, you know, Melbourne's not Sydney. You described how it's quite different and how the, the, the music scene's much more open and expression is more welcome. So yeah. tell me about that fear of failing in, in this space. Well, kind of, well, it's not kind of, it is like, if, if you don't crack it in Melbourne, you can't crack it anywhere. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 That's it. Right? Yeah. Cool. Um, and if you can't crack it in Melbourne, that means you can't crack it anywhere. What does that mean about you? Um, I'm, I'm missing something. I'm really missing something here. Maybe what I'm supposed to be playing is not what I'm projecting, right? So if I'm projecting something in musically, maybe it's me trying to be popular, you know, as opposed to being yeah, honest sure. with the music coming out. I think that is, that's a critical issue for me. Is what yeah, I'm yeah. projecting the same thing as what I'm supposed to be true to? Yeah, sure. Can I bring um, an analogy to this? Um, sure, go for your life. It's, it's kind of like you're seeing two girls, right? You're seeing okay. one girl, which is the love of your life, but the other girl, she damn, she's pretty, you know? Mm. 
And because yeah, Muhammad sure. looks. Go on. That's that's it. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, but interestingly, you said that in Melbourne, uh, any genre, any night, any place. So, yeah. Um, the, the pressure to conform and get it right seems less relevant in Melbourne than it does anywhere else. Um, so let me just take you back to this fear piece, right? Because follow that line through, you're afraid of failure straight up. Um, and really you're afraid that if you can't make it work in Melbourne, well, then you can't make it work anywhere because Melbourne is the, is the easiest and op- most open place in Australia for music to succeed. Um, so Correct. really... If that if that would if that were to happen, what does that say about you as a person? What's the what's the fear around what that says about you? If I don't if I don't crack in the melons? Yeah. Yeah, I've been but I've been lying to myself. Mhm. And if you've been lying to yourself, what does that say about you? I'm living some kind of fantasy world that mm-hmm. I don't have my feet on the ground. Yes, and what kind of person lives a fantasy world that doesn't have their feet on the ground? Uh, a lunatic. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know what to answer to that. You know, like, uh, someone, yeah, that's just daydreaming. Then obviously I've been living a daydream. I've been living a lie. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, it might sound like I'm looking for the right answer here. I'm not. I'm just... No, that's that's fine. Mm. That's fine. If you can leverage I, it, I, absolutely. Yeah, I want to I keep digging here because, um, you know, fear is an interesting thing, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so much of our fear is, is incredibly irrational. You know, the, yeah. the kid who doesn't sleep at night is not afraid of the monster under their bed. They're afraid of the thought there might be a monster under their bed. Yeah. yeah they've never really looked um, for fear that they might be there, but it's this kind of abstract Fear. So, so one of the most important things in dealing with fear is actually identifying specifically what are you afraid of. Mm-hmm. So, let me serve you by helping you get crystal clear about the the actual root, deepest, darkest fear here. Um, it's not that you'll fail. It's not that you'll be a, uh, uh, living in a fantasy land. It goes it goes one level deeper than that. If if you were to fail in the city that's easiest to succeed in, and if that would mean you're you're living some kind of fantasy, what what would that say about you as an individual ultimately that you are most afraid of? Identity. I, I think that's what it really comes down to. Identity. Sure. <clears throat> well, maybe not, but that's what I'm. Saying. Yeah, for sure. It is. It is identity for sure. Um, talk talk it out to me. What would it mean about your identity? that I may be identifying with myself as not the person who I really am, that this is a front, right? Like, I'm good at playing music, so I've created this caricature. You know, it's like this moustached, sort of rockin' blue slide guitarist that's, you know, played all these festivals and stuff. But the reality is that's a caricature. Yeah, well... It's... not who I really am. Mm, to, to try this on for a minute. So, um, you know, where there are restrictions, as much as people rail against those, sometimes they provide 
a benefit, right? Because they provide rules that um, protect you in some way from failing, right? Because yeah. in Sydney, you you can't do what you want. There's a bunch of rules, so you got to you got to you know play play by the rules and do what people want and tick the boxes. Um, and then if people don't like you, you get to say, well, do you know what? That wasn't my thing anyway. I was just it's the industry, it's the culture, it's the city, it's the rules, it's all bullshit, you know. Yeah. Um, and you, you get to escape with your identity intact and your integrity and it doesn't reflect badly on you. You go to a place with no rules where you can do anything and be anyone and then it's like, holy smokes, um, so who am I? And what if I bring my best and and there's no one telling me what I can and can't do, so I get to choose, right? And I show up and then it's still not enough. You know, that, yeah. what does that mean? You know, then that's like, holy smokes, then that means that I'm not enough. Maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Maybe there isn't any value in what I do. You know, it's this, it is this deep identity piece going, holy shit, what if, what if, what if I'm no good? Yeah. Well, there's rules. You never get to, you don't have to face that. There's always something you can outsource that to. Mm-hmm. But when the rules go, then there's nowhere to hide. That's right, because you're out in the light. Yeah. You're in the light. You're in the light, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and so um, it, it's interesting, right, because um, you know people typically imagine their problems as really complicated and totally unique. Um, you know, we, we get isolated in our mind and think we're the only person that struggles like this or our, our problems are much more difficult or complicated than anybody else's. Um, yet, in fact, this fear around not being enough, it, it is universal. It is, the, it is the human condition and it drives all dysfunction underneath every emotional, relational, physical, social, financial issue lurks this underlying limiting belief in some way we're not enough. Yeah. Um, and you sure it plays out in, in nuanced ways in different ways, but it's all the same story. And yeah. the, the thing that I love most about w- what I do, right, is that there is a way out of that story uh, that's not that doesn't involve behaviour management or trying harder or just pretending it's not there or just running away from it. Um, there is a process that is simple and hard to work with this limiting belief and remove it from your life so that you are free to then, like, like you said before, free to go and express yourself in, in a space that's, that's set up for expression to bring yeah. a gift to the world. Yeah. What would that mean to you, by the way, if you could be free to really express yourself and bring something very deep and very real to the world? Mate, I'd be jumping through hoops. Like, since coming to Melbourne, I can literally not wipe the smile off my face, right? Yeah. It's yeah, no. like everything is humming. Everything is just on track. It's on point. Then I look across yeah. my guitars, and I still haven't touched them since I've been here. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool, right? There's a there's a beautiful idea in the coaching world that says people work perfectly. So um, it's it's this we often imagine our, ourselves as broken and our behaviour yeah. is strange or coincidental. So you look at your guitar and think, wow, that's so weird. Like, why haven't I picked that up? 
Um, whereas the coaching world says, of course, of course you haven't touched it because it will work perfectly. The results you're getting are the exact results you've designed your system to produce. You're not broken. Um, and there's no judgment, but of course. Does that make sense? Yes. Can you sort of explain it a different way, please? I'm just trying to I can. I'll it. use a metaphor that I love to, to use to explain this. Um, if you went into a factory that was producing boxes and out of the assembly line, you noticed the box missing a side, you'd be tempted to say, oh, see, that box is broken. But if then you notice the next box coming out missing the same side and then the next one, the next one, the next one, you couldn't really say that box was broken, could you? No. You'd have to say there's a design issue here. Um, yet, yeah. if you want a box with all the sides on it, you've only really got two options. What are those options? So either fix or work with. Except if you want... So the outcome is I need it with all the sides. So I can't work with it without the sides. I'm going to have to have a box with all the sides. So... Um, so fix is one option. What are you fixing, by the way? Um, well, oh, gosh, okay. Um, trying to isolate what it is within the mechanism that is creating that box missing a site. A hundred percent. So you could go back and make adjustments. You could do the work around, oh, hang on, this, it's this widget here, it's this part, it's, it's creating this problem. Oh, if I was to change that, then the boxes take care of themselves. So yeah. do the hard work once, deal with the factory, then the boxes automatically come out different. They cannot not yeah. come out different because they're just at the yeah. end of the assembly line, right? Not their fault. Yeah, sure. Um, or you could, post-production, manually attach sides to boxes. Right. But if you do it to one, you've got to do it to all of them. That's so kind of abstract. Have a guess which... Abstract, but have a guess which which one people choose when dealing with their own behaviour. Fix the factory or fix the box? Fix the box. 100%. People are into behaviour management. I'm just going to stop it. I'm just going to try hard. I'm just not going to do that anymore. That's strange. That's yeah. weird. That's broken. I'm just going to fix it. And and yeah. people get excited about that idea and give energy to it, yet boxes are coming out day and night missing a side. Right, so yeah. it makes much more sense to go, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. The box isn't the issue. What is it that's causing me to behave like this? So when you look at your behavior, behavior never lies, right? Behavior yep. is just the end of the assembly line. It comes out of what you believe. So yep. a great question is to say, what must I believe in order to behave like this? Um, so, yeah. so your behavior is perfect for the beliefs that you have. They're not disconnected. So when you look at your guitars and you look at the scene, you go, oh, the scene's open, it's, I'm buzzing, this is so exciting, I'm bouncing off the walls. Yeah, look at my guitars, I haven't picked them up. Just to go, rather than think, oh, that's weird, just go, of course, I'm afraid. That now there's this open space, I could be anyone and I don't know who I am. And what if I bring my best and my best isn't enough? Well, oh, that's heavy. Well, it is heavy, but it's the real conversation. Yeah, sure. It, it is the piece, and and this is why, um, this is why this is so powerful, right? Because this is transformative, right? If you can't see the real issue, then all you're left to do is behave and manage yourself. It's to try harder. Right. It's to dance around the issue. It's to put sides on boxes, and keep running from one thing to the next because you never really understand what's driving this. Yeah. Whereas if you can see, hang on a minute, this is about me fearing I'm not enough. 
um, and this situation has just put me in a place where I could actually face that fear for the first time, really. Yeah. Um, then, of course, you haven't touched your guitar. So the big question is change, right? Mm, it is, yeah. Um, so the process of change is is fourfold. I don't know if you've got a pen. Um, I will. I was thinking of actually, yeah, grabbing. Um, don't don't worry, don't worry about it. Let me let me summarise this, and I'll email it to you when we're done. Just just stay in the stay in the moment, and we'll have this conversation, and I'll I'll shoot it to you afterwards. So. Um, sure. The transformation process, the real change process, follows four four steps every time, um, and that's not a yeah. rule. It's not like kind of restricted. It's just saying this is the process. This is how it works. Um, the first step is awareness. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the second step. The first step is acceptance. Um, yeah. And in in particular, what what it is that we are accepting is the nature of story. Okay, so. Um, most people will never get to stage one when it comes to transformation. That's why they just keep doing what they've always done. Um, yeah. But if you're going to change, it's, it begins with accepting and accepting that all we have in life is story. So we are sense-making creatures who go into the world and tell stories about our experiences. And those stories are works of fiction. Five people experiencing the same thing will all tell a different story. And, and from those stories, they form our beliefs. And our beliefs yep. then filter out our world and then produce evidence. We find evidence for whatever we believe is true. So it becomes this self-perpetuating cycle of evidence-gathering systems and deleting and distorting the rest of our world based on what we believe is yep. true, based on the story we told ourselves about key moments in our life. Yeah. Um, interestingly... Uh, most of what we decide about ourselves happened before we're seven. And, you know, kids in a big new world uh, trying to make sense of who they are, how life works, what they can expect, arrive at decisions around identity and value and worth before they're seven a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, the stories they tell about themselves when things go down in their world is often negative. They often... Yeah make it about themselves so you know i work with a lot of people who've had some kind of abuse in their background and the interesting thing is they imagine their life is messed up because they were abused yet it's not the abuse that has caused them grief do you know what it is no it's the story they told themselves about why they were abused right so at this point i would have to say that Based on what you've just said, I was adopted, right? and I didn't find sure. out until I was actually burying my adoptive father, that was like 34. But I felt like such a square peg in a round hole, like in my family. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, yeah. Couldn't eat food. It was just like, man, yeah. it's just who are these people? And just felt this sense of isolation. And I think what you're actually talking about is, you know, the story, as you call it, yeah. that I told myself up until the age of seven. 
Yeah, for sure. But how, how would I have known? Was it instinctual or? Well, it's it's amazing, right? Because um, everything we do is trying to keep ourselves safe. So yeah. you think about a child, right? Um, every child comes into the world in a very pure and perfect way. They haven't done anything. Yeah. They're just pure potential, pure. They're inherently valuable and worth, worthwhile, right? So, And every child has a very high sense of their value and worth. Because the moment they have an issue, they cry. So they demand attention. They expect that everyone in their world will care for them and treat them perfectly. And for the most part, that works. Except in very extreme cases, a kid north of two normally has their needs met. Um, but then as they grow up, their world sometimes isn't capable of continuing to meet their needs perfectly. There's a lot of competing agendas and the child is expected to do a lot more on their own and be more self-sufficient and they cope with a lot more mess, right? So as a way of protecting themselves from pain, they let go of this high sense of self and then go searching for identity and, and contract out that value to their world, you know, by saying, well, I'll feel good about myself if I can keep you happy and if I can meet your expectations and if I can do what you want then I'll know I'm a good person so they kind yeah. of let go of this internal sense of value and make it all in the external yeah does, does that make sense yeah totally yeah yeah for sure um, but coming back to the four stages right stage one is acceptance so I was going holy smokes it's, it's just a story and you know I love to describe it like a jumper It's it's like at some point, a child has put on a jumper and then they've looked at themselves in the mirror and seen that jumper on and then others have seen them with that jumper and that jumper somehow then becomes to describe them and it becomes attached with who they are. But it's just a jumper. Yeah. It's not, it's not who they are. It could not yep. describe their value and worth. It's just a story. And, it, and transformation comes when you, when you see that that is just a story, which then takes you down the path of taking that jumper off and um, beginning to replace that story with a more empowering one. Uh, yeah. Anthony Robbins tells tells a story of twin brothers age, interviewed at age 30 and one brother's in Sydney, you know, successful businessman, married with three kids. He's got a, a beautiful house by the water. He's got a boat, lots of money. Things are great. His twin brother lives in Perth, unemployed, alcoholic, separated, two kids, different women, on absolute struggle street. And Anthony says to these brothers, so says, I'm intrigued. Like, you grew up in the same home, had the same experience for most of your life, yet how is it that you turned out like you did? And they both said exactly the same thing. They said, well, what did you expect with a father like ours? So they'd grown up with a violent, alcoholic dad. Yet both of them had told themselves a very different story about what that meant. Yeah. <clears throat> So it's profound, right? It's it's this, my goodness, we're actually not a victim. Life is not about what happens to us. It's about the meaning we place on the things that happen to us. Yep. So um, so moving on, uh, there's, uh, this is a big big subject. I understand that. And I, I um, just just let me cover these four things and we'll tie it into how it specifically applies to you. So stage one is acceptance. It's all story. Um, and once you accept that, you kind of get that it's it's not concrete. If it's just story, if it's a work of fiction, well, then it can be played with and changed. 
there can be new stories, there can be other stories, there can be different stories. What if that story's not true? What if it doesn't describe who you really are? The second stage is awareness. So based on the fact that it's all story, getting clear on what is your story and where did your story start and when was the first time that you told yourself that you were not enough? Because before that, you were fine. Then at some point, um, a certain event happened, a certain experience or, or a group of experiences and you took that to, to mean that there is some inadequacy with you and then, and then the story has perpetua- perpetuated itself from there. So the awareness piece is to go, what are the patterns of my story? What are the, if I was a character in a, in a book, how does my character play out in the world? Um, so again, without awareness, just goes, oh, wow, this is how it will continue to play out unless I change it. Uh, stage three is accountability. And specifically, it's accountability to yourself around 100% choice and 100% responsibility. So it's a sense of typically we imagine ourselves as victims and powerless to to change our fate or our destiny or the stuff that's happened to us. Yet based on the first two stages, you go, well, I'm not a victim. I'm where I have chosen to be. And I could choose to live out of different stories. I'm not just a passenger on the bus. I could be the driver. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. So it's every every time you choose the new story, then it it becomes the new default. Every time you step up and take responsibility rather than being in the victim space, it becomes the default. It becomes the new story that you're writing. Stephen right, Covey says everything Stephen Covey says everything is created twice. So so the results we're getting now have been created before we we experience them. They've been written, they've been designed. So the accountability piece is taking the reins back of the design process and realizing I'm not just an actor in this play, I could be the writer as well. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. And then the final piece is adaptation, which is if you take, the, if you take care of the first three stages, then your behavior and your life will adapt to that new story. You cannot not experience change. Behavior is at the end of the assembly line. Yep. Um, so it's big stuff, right? It's it's kind of it's simple and hard. Um, but how how is that feeling for you right now? Man, it's 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 actually a lot to try and absorb because there's certain certain language that you're using that's really foreign to me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of challenging to listen to because you know the whole concept <laughs> of 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 the story and you know there's yeah you know I've, I've heard it once by another person and I was just like sure going what is this language that you're talking you know it's I know it's English and I understand the words yeah but I don't understand the I, meanings do you I know I totally understand what you mean I do it is another language yeah right so um, how about if if I were to give you one gift then out of all this uh, that could open up this world to you and open up this new language to you, all based on what it is that you deeply desire in life. The gift that I would give you right now is the gift of doubt. Well, that's weird. Hmm. But I think how I want in the that world one. could 
I don't want that dangerous gift. Take it back, man. It is a dangerous gift and a beautiful gift at the same time. Any idea how doubt could be a gift to you? No. No idea. Hmm. Well, we're always so certain that our life is true and everything is real because that's how our brains work, right? We find evidence for whatever we believe is true. Um, but, but our brains only filter in seven out of two million bits of information every second. The rest is is filtered out of our world. There is so much that goes on that we are not aware of because we couldn't possibly be. So the gift of doubt says, what else could be true? What if this isn't real? What if this story about not being enough isn't actually true? You might feel that it's true because you've got a whole bunch of evidence, but evidence from evidence. That's what your brain does. Yeah. If you think no one likes you, even when they say nice things about you, you'll distort that to give you evidence that they're just trying to get one up on you or they're trying to flatter you or there's a trick to it. If you think people love you, even when they're being mean to you, you'll think they're jealous. You'll think that they, they'd really just want to be like you. It's, it's how our brains work. We've only got room for what we believe is true. Yep. So the gift of doubt says, what if this world is not so concrete and this is just a jumper? This is just a story. I just, I, I'm aware of time. I don't want to leave you in an unsettled place. Well, I, I do and I don't, right? Because personal development is always a journey into pain. And most yeah. people run away from pain and ignore it. But pain is a gift, right? Pain is designed to protect you. People who die with leprosy die because they can't feel pain. So they don't know when their hand is on the fire. So they don't take it off. Um, pain is is supposed to say, hey, listen, this needs dealing with. So it is unsettling to have the gift of doubt. It causes you to ask questions that previously haven't asked. It causes you to deconstruct some stuff. But it is a door into a world of beauty and transformation and life, which all is related to you living out of the desire of your heart to go be you in the world and bring your unique gifts and talents. So what's next? You've given me the, the gift of doubt. I have to question my story. Well, you don't have to okay. do anything, right? You don't have to. You don't have to do anything. So it's almost like blue pill, red pill, the matrix. Yeah. You could go. Yeah, oh, that was an interesting conversation. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wake up tomorrow and pretend that never happened, and go about my day, and we may never even speak again. <laughs> you could yeah. you could leave to find yourself a group and no one probably even notice. You could just go on. Like you're in a new city, you don't know many people down there probably, you know, like or you could take the blue pill, see what happens. Swallow yeah. the gift of doubt. Just go, what is down this rabbit hole? So what next is really up to you. It's really what happens to you now. Do you, do you walk towards this fear or do you walk away from it? Do you say yes to this gift or do you hand the gift back? And and it's your life, right? You're the expert. I can't tell you what you should or shouldn't do now. And me wanting you to take either of the two options is a zero value to you. 
Yes. <laughs> so it's up to you. It, it, it's up to you. Okay. And obviously there's there's a world of conversations to be had and lots of people to have them with. But I love the idea that uh, I think it's a Buddhist idea that says when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yeah. And inbuilt into that idea is the teacher's always been there, the student hasn't always been ready. So you step through the door and you discover a whole world of resources and people and opportunities that have always been there, but you haven't been ready for them. So I think it's this fear of unknowing what will happen. Um, but it turns out that you walk through one door and it leads to the next and the next. Um, or you don't walk through the door, you just stay where you are. Well, you see, that's how I feel about coming to Melbourne, that since I've come here, all the doors are opening. You know, I could not have imagined, you know, living where I'm living, doing what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I couldn't have imagined it. I, 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 I had no picture in my mind or in my heart of, well, this is what's going to happen. I'm here and it's just like everything is, it's almost as if it's preordained. You know, like yeah, sure. literally Beautiful. one door to the next door to the next door to having this conversation would be inclusive Great. of that as well. Great. Fantastic. Um, okay. Well, would that be okay and an okay place to wrap up this conversation? Yeah, certainly. Absolutely. To leave you with that place. And uh, I hope that's been of value to you. And uh, again, really acknowledge you for being willing to even have this conversation in the first place. And I want to speak to that part of you that said yes to this opportunity. Like that was that was an interesting call to go, you know, there are 500 people in the group. I put that out and, and you responded. So what, what story do you want to tell yourself about that and why that happened? And um, it's a very cool thing. So we'll leave it there. I appreciate that and, uh, yeah, love to continue to serve you in any way I could and, um, yeah, love to see what happens next. Sure. Thank you very much for your time, Jamin. I really appreciate it, mate. My absolute pleasure.